Hello, Saints. Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. We as born-again believers brought into the family of God need to begin to pray for a revelation. Ask the Lord to give us a revelation of what His church is and how it is to function and begin to search the scriptures daily to find out the answer to this important question, especially in light of just the great fragmentation, the diversity of contradictory methods and things that we see in doctrines going on and what calls itself the Church of the Lord Jesus and the visible modern church. We need a revelation from God, which will always be by His Spirit and found as a pattern in His Word. And in Acts 14:23, the Bible says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So now they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, then they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So there were elders ordained to be involved with every assembly of believers. That pattern would be the case today. And prayer and fasting for the wisdom of God concerning those elders. Now does this mean everybody's got to put on a three-piece suit like we see today in the modern church and bring in front of everybody in front of the church building is all it is and have the formality that we have today I don't think so I really don't think so in fact if we're called to be elders gentlemen elder position would only or calling if you will would only be for a man not a woman according to the Holy Scriptures and it would be for a man to be a servant in carrying out the duties the function of an elder if you think about the word elder it just means somebody older than you that's wiser couple of three older gentlemen in my life that are super elders to me just been a blessing they don't call themselves elders they don't call themselves my mentors I call them out of my own heart my elder brothers my mentors whatever these men teach me a lot these men are a gift from God but they're not running around trying to be in this position like we see a lot of times in the modern church they're fulfilling the function the biblical function of an elder to myself and many others. Anyway, they have this input in my life and many others, and I praise God for those. So an elder isn't somebody who qualifies for some position and walks around with a badge on. That's ridiculous. I believe we can over-formalize this stuff. Now, in the first chapter of Titus, which is going to be our main text, I want to talk beginning in verse 5, Titus 1. It says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting 
are lacking and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. Now, before we go any further, let's talk about briefly the purpose of this book of Titus that the Apostle Paul wrote, and that is in full force and authority for revelation to the church in this last hour in which you and I live. Paul wrote primarily to instruct Titus in the task of First of all, setting in order what Paul had left unfinished in the churches of Crete, which was an island south of Asia Minor, including the appointment of elders, as we just read in verse 5 of the first chapter, and then helping the churches grow in faith, in knowledge of the truth, and in godly living, and in silencing the false teachers, and coming to Paul after he was relieved by two others, Artemis and Tychicus. So, ordaining elders, as we're going to read in the ensuing verses here, was for the purpose, not corralling and creating positions of authority so that flesh could reign among the believers, but the stated goal and purpose was to combat deception that was going on. We've got a lot of deception circulating today in this last hour, especially with the advent of the internet. And we're going to talk a little bit in detail. It's going to get kind of exciting, I think, here in a minute. But nevertheless, this is exciting to the child of God because we're in the Word. If the Word isn't exciting to you, you got a problem in your heart. I had a lady a few years ago who ran a ministry, and she got off into all kinds of strange, foolish stuff because she was tied in with the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation Delusional Movement, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. And she literally told me one day, she says, I'm bored with the Word. See, the Word of God was no longer enough for her. The revelation of Jesus Christ in the 66 books of the Holy Scriptures. And so she went after an experience-based Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. Christianity is truth-based, and also there is the experience of walking with God and also being filled with the Spirit, but not outside of the Word, the truth of the Lord. Any experience that does not line up with the Holy Scriptures and what we see in the Holy Scriptures is not of God at all. So anyway, we're reading in Titus 1, it says in verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are lacking, wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed. See, Paul's motives in setting overseers in place was to stop the deceivers we'll read about here in just a few verses. Verse 10, and establish the truth in the hearts of God's people so that they would not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 speaks about. It's one thing to get saved. It's another thing to stay saved, beloved. You must Stay saved. You cannot be moved away from the hope of the gospel and made shipwreck of. 1 Timothy 1, verse 19 and 20, and expect to be in God's glorious heaven if you don't endure to the end in the faith of the gospel. Verse 6, Titus 1, if any be blameless, here's the qualification for elders, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless, the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word 
as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, among other things, we see as far as qualifications for an elder in the body of Christ is in verse 9 that it must be somebody that holds fast the faithful word, the word of the gospel, the gospel presented to us and given to us in the written word of God, transmitted by the Holy Spirit, by holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He must be somebody who holds fast the word of God. He's not wavering. He's deeply rooted and grounded in the word of God, letting God be true and every man a liar, Romans 3, 4, and speaking only the word of God, preaching the word and only the word, holding fast the faithful word, in other words, the word of the gospel, the doctrine which you have obeyed from the heart, Romans 6, 17, as he hath been taught. Notice an elder doesn't become a man that is being used in the position of an elder, which is going to be somewhat defined here in these next ensuing verses, the purpose of God putting elders in the body of Christ. He has to be teachable. You see, as he has been taught, don't miss that part. Now, as he has been taught, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught. You can't be taught unless you become humble and teachable and cry out to God to learn of the Lord. Not taught of men, although God uses men. We have teachers as one of the elder functions in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And then in Ephesians 4, 14, he says that there are deceivers who lie and wait to deceive. And that's why that elders have to be in the body of Christ. So the body of Christ grows up in the Christ and all things things and is no longer moved away by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness and deceit, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You see, the purpose is stated there again in Ephesians 4, which is all about the body of Christ. Highly recommend that you pour over that chapter on a regular basis. Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 also. So, holding fast the faithful word, Titus 1, 9, as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. So he's to be proficient in the word of God. He's not to be a novice that's being lifted up with pride. He'd fall into the condemnation of the devil. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Not a novice, but one who can handle the word of God with skill and being led by the Spirit, even because the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. He's not a babe by reason of use, having his, exorc- his senses exercised both to discern good and evil by reason of use of the Word of God. He's able to wield the sword of the Word of God and cut away and cut down and destroy falsehoods while establishing the truth. Now, it's important that we not only preach and teach, but we preach, warn, and teach. As some people around out there, and maybe you've encountered some of them, they're just rusty swords. That's all they do is attack and expose, if you will. They pose as watchmen among us when they're really wolves, but they have a clandestine front, a facade, if you will, because they have a website or whatever and they operate acting as if they care for the body of Christ and they tear up falsehoods that are pretty obvious anyway. But they never teach and preach, you see. Colossians 1.28, the Apostle Paul told us that he did three things to prepare the church the body of Christ, for the return of Christ, to meet Christ. And that would be to preach, warn, and teach. Not only to warn, but to preach and to teach. To establish sound doctrine, you see. That's how God manifests His Word in due time.
time is through the preaching of the gospel as we read in verse 3 of Titus chapter 1 here. So the elder or the mature believer in particular, the man, but this goes for older women, if you will, or women that are maturing in the Lord. This would fit them as they teach the younger women. Women aren't to be running around teaching men. They're to teach women. That's what the Bible says. That's God made men and women with different roles and different functions for those roles. And women are said to need to keep silence in assemblies and to teach the younger women. So we need to follow the Lord in his distinct instructions to us as men and as of women, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine. You see, if you're being taught of the Lord, you're being taught sound doctrine. You cannot separate the two. You know, if you're going to be sound in the faith and have a sound heart and a sound mind and be used of God as you hold forth the word of a life, and help others and be used of the Lord to help his people be grounded in the truth and to be safeguarded from delusion and deception, which is at an all-time rampant high at this point. You've got to be established in sound doctrine, which is a term that occurs several times in the New Testament scriptures, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So he is to be established for true doctrine, sound doctrine, holding forth the faithful word, being teachable and continually learning of the Lord, never coming to a place where he thinks he has learned it all and being lifted up with pride and also to convince the gainsayers to exhort the brethren and also to convince the gainsayers what is a gainsayer let's talk about what a gainsayer is because the believer that is maturing in the lord and learning of the lord and increasing in the knowledge of god through sound doctrine is to exhort and to convince the gainsayers what is a gainsayer well the greek word for gainsayer here is Antilego, Antilego, A N T I, Anti, and then Lego, L E G O, L E G O, Antilego. All right, so to exhort the gainsayers, convince, exhort, and to convince the gainsayers are those who are anti-Lego, if you will. Let's talk about that as we finalize this segment here. What is the definition of gainsaying as Paul defines it here, which will be very qualified, if you will, by the passage that it's found in here in this Titus setting. The definition of gainsaying, it, it comes from the Greek word antilogia or antilego, which means dispute disobedience. The Greek word translated gainsaying is also translated contradiction in Hebrews 7, 7 and 12, 3. Strife in Hebrews 6, 16. It is a derivative of the Greek word antilego, which means to dispute or refuse. This word is translated gainsayers here in Titus chapter 1 verse 9 and then in other places it's translated gainsaying, answering again, Titus 2 9, that's interesting, contradicting, Acts 13 45, deny in Luke 20 27, speak against in John 19 12. The examination of the gain saying as we would compare scripture with scripture in Numbers chapter 16, who was involved? There was a gainsaying against the Lord and the authority he had set up with a Korah, a Levite, and 
Dathan and Abiram, Reubenites, and others. The Levites were given charge over the keeping of the tabernacle. That was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that was their function, as elders have a function today. And by the way, let me stop right here and say, eldership doesn't mean you're part of a local assembly that gathers in a certain building every week, once, twice, three times. That's not the definition of it. That may be the setting of it in some cases. But that's not the definition of it. you got to get the spiritual revelation of what an elder is. Those that are elders over me, I don't see them every Sunday morning. You know, we get all impressed with ourselves because we are church members, bless God. And, you know, we go to church, as they say, twice a week, three times a week. Well, the Lord never told you to go to church. He said to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And before you get too impressed with yourself because you're a good church member in good standing and you're always there when the doors are open. God isn't even slightly impressed with that pharisaical foolishness. Give me a break. The early church met house to house daily. They were so full of the Holy Ghost and the Lord risen Savior Jesus Christ. They couldn't stay apart from each other and we get all impressed with ourselves because we go to church. How can you go to church? You are the church, the called out ones of God. And we function as the body of Christ 24-7 anywhere we are in God's beautiful green earth. Amen. Not just under some certain roof where we gather on Sunday morning. It's just ridiculous how we've made a religion out of New Testament Christianity. So the Levites were given charge over the keeping of the tabernacle. So the rebellion of these in Numbers 16, I want you to go back and read that, was a challenge against the godly leadership that the Lord had set up. The Lord had set up, not man. That's a big delineation. You need to discern. But not going strictly according to the Word of God and don't have the love of God, the fruit of the Spirit, and emphasize sound doctrine and get you in the Word. They're not of God. Aaron the high priest also became an object of the attack of these rebels, these gainsayers, and that's what it calls them in number 16, Dathan, Abiram, the Reubenites. They challenged the leadership of Moses, which God ordained. That would be like me challenging the leadership that God's put in my life. Many, several men of God that I'm either accountable, you know, on the same level of maturity or even if they aren't as mature as me or and then those that are much more mature than me in the Lord. Why would I rebel against them? Why would I be a gainsayer concerned? We should look at them as gifts of God where we learn together to walk more perfectly with the Lord. So, and there were others who rebelled when you read this message in number 16. They rose up before Moses. They gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron. It says in number 16, they gathered together against God in verse 11. And what was their charge? Moses and Aaron, they said, took too much leadership upon themselves. These guys were jealous. They wanted the attention for themselves, like Diotrephes and 3rd John. You know, he was a pulpit hog, if you will. We've got a lot of people like that running around today, not only in the physical, visible modern church, but also on the internet. They got a website and they call themselves a pastor, bless God, and you know, they want everybody looking to them. And when it doesn't happen, they get all jealous of other people God's using. And then they start attacking them and finding everything they can to use against them, whether it's true or not, and then trying to legitimize what they're saying against them. It's just absolute rebellion. 
rebellion, these people are wolves, and these are some of the people that pose as street preachers and watchmen. Beware, beloved, beware. I'm telling you, there are Alexander the coppersmiths in our day. And Paul said, you beware of him also, he told the people when he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verse 14 and 15. These people that are gainsayers are rebelling against God and against his truth and against the, the servants that he's taught his sound doctrine to, which we can call elders, as the Bible says, or overseers. Servants, too, is mainly what they are. But when you come against them, you're coming against the Lord, as these rebels did in number 16. And the result of their gainsaying is that they were all destroyed. Jude 11 cites them, specifically quoting out of and observing out of what we see in number 16. Jude 11 says that the apostates perished in the gainsaying of Korah. You see, and someone has noted, quote, you don't rebel against God and God-given leadership without consequences. And that is so true. You know, again, a novice is one who will be lifted up in pride. He learns a little bit, thinks that he's got the, you know, the kingdom of God by the tail. And so he gets all puffed up and he falls into the condemnation of the devil and is made shipwreck of his faith. And sometimes he never returns people like that. So what is your attitude toward God-given leadership? I'm not talking about leadership that you go to a church building and there's leaderships designated. That's not how the kingdom of God functions. I'm not ruling that out, but that's over to the side. That's really not how God ordained his kingdom to function. The kingdom of God is not only in operation for one hour or two hours on Sunday morning. It's 24-7 no matter where we are. And let me ask you this, young people, God has given you parents. They've given you people to instruct you and to teach you. People that have been in the earth a lot longer than you. They're no better than you, but they've been in the earth a longer than you and they've learned a lot of things. God's taught them a lot of wisdom through his word, walking in the spirit and, and through sometimes the mistakes they've made. And they can really help you. What is your attitude toward them, beloved? Honor your father and mother and also honor the elders around you. People that are a little bit older than you and they can teach you a lot. I, I get real impressed as a young Marine. I was a Marine too. And so anyway, him and I have a lot in common. Real specimen of a young man in a lot of ways. And I saw him with his grandpa the other day and just sitting there listening to the word. This young man, he's about 25 and just wonderful. We've had some good fellowship together and he's a wise young man. And one of the ways I know that is the way he sat and listened to his grandpa, just hanging on every word. And just that's a beautiful thing. God's ordained us to have people that are older than us, elders that have walked through things that they can really help us. And so may God grant each of us a teachable heart and open ear to what we can learn. Now, wives, you know, how do you view your husband who's the head of the home? What's your attitude? Are you submitted humbly in a godly, teachable, pliable, learning posture? Or are you a gainsayer? Casting doubt upon the authority of the Lord. People God's put around you. They're not perfect. None of us are perfect. The Lord is, though. But there's much we can still learn from each other. Husbands, you know, what is your posture toward your wife? You know, this is the weaker vessel that you're to be honoring and even laying down your life for. What's your attitude toward her, beloved? Well, we need to ask those questions to ourselves. We're going to give account to God for how we interact with and how we're properly, biblically, and spiritually submitted to those in authority around us. As we close this section, let me remind you of Hebrews chapter 13. Pretty easy to remember the verses. 13 verse 7 and 7. 
17, the Bible says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. See, not just anybody who's got the rule over you, but those that speak the word to you. Amen. That's a big qualifier. Do they preach the pure word of God? If they're not, they're not of God. Don't submit to them. Get away. Run. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or way of life. And then verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. It's a command. It's going to be a blessing to you. For they watch for your souls. A man that's not watching for your souls is not worthy of you submitting to. That's ridiculous. You know, I was talking to some friends the other day about how these people call themselves pastors. The people that are so-called pastoring, they never hear from them. That's not pastoring. They just want you to come in here so they feel will get better on Sunday morning about themselves having more nickels, noses, and numbers. A true pastoral person who doesn't need a position or some stupid white collar, a pulpit, or a building, he watches for your soul. He preaches a word to you, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, as that must give account, they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. So submit to them. Those that God ordains in your life. You don't have to go find somebody. God will put them in your life. It can be dangerous to go out and feel like you got to hurry up and go submit to somebody. I would definitely advise against that. Be careful. Just pray. God, give me elders in my life to help me learn of thee, O God. Give me a teachable, humble, gracious spirit, O God. Cry out to the Lord for a broken and contrite heart, which the Bible says is well-pleasing to him, and to be poor in spirit. And submit yourselves to those elders. They watch for your souls. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. God bless you. We'll do more here in the next segment. All right. So the purpose of elders, as we see so far, which are to be ordained, if you will, recognized. And that doesn't mean they have to be recognized by putting on a three-piece suit and having some big ceremony. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad if you've got more of an organization. I'm not saying that's all bad. But listen, we don't need all that. That to recognize elder brothers and sisters in our lives that pray for us, that oversee and watch for our souls, and that speak the truth of the Word of God into our lives. I've talked about some elders in my life. They don't put on a three-piece suit and meet me at a building. No. We have spontaneous, ongoing fellowship through several different mediums, including getting together in person from time to time, and regular communications via internet, email, and on the phone together. That's just how God has it for me right now. And there's some people here in my local area that are elders to me, but they don't call themselves or sick, but they're operating in that function. And that's what's most important, not the title, but actually obeying God and operating in that function as a servant of the Lord. So that's why we need to have elders among us. God would ordain them for our lives. And one of the qualifications of these elders, as we read in the ensuing verses here in Titus 1, I want you to really get into Titus 1, book of Titus. It's one of the three pastoral epistles, which gives the order of how the body of Christ is to function. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are all together here, right, in the New Testament. God's true representatives, I think we can glean from this, are known by their purity of character and doctrine. Their purity of character and doctrine. And one of the things is their qualifications is that they hold fast the faithful word, Titus 1.9, and they're teachable, as he 
hath been taught. Some people are ready to teach, but God wants them to be submitted under teaching and elders right now for a while and to be seasoned in the word and to learn how, as David did, to seek the face of the Lord in the spirit and praise and worship and in prayer, communion with the Lord daily. David did when he was out in the pasture, just him, God, and the sheep. And that's what God used to qualify him to be the king of Israel. And that's what God's going to use. God looks at the quiet places where no other men are, you know, in our lives. In fact, Jesus gives us kind of a microcosm of that when he says in Matthew 6, 6, that when you pray, enter into your closet and shut the door, close your door, seal yourself off from all others, from the whole world, and seek your father. Seek his face, which is in private, and your father would see it in private, will reward you openly. Think about that in conjunction with your life and how God is preparing you to be used of him, to be there to comfort and to teach and even rebuke and exhort others, but not in such a big way until he's caused you to go through great suffering and to learn his comfort and to seek and depend upon him alone as you learn of him and learn of the word of God. We're to be increasing in the knowledge of God according to Colossians 1.10, growing in the grace of God, 2 Peter 1.2 and 3.18, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're to go on to perfection or maturity through learning the doctrines of the Lord as we read about in the last part of Hebrews 5 verse 11 through chapter 6 verse 2. So we learned here that by sound doctrine, elder brothers and sisters are to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, those that are rebellious against authority, especially the authority that God has set up. Verse 10, Titus 1, for there are many, notice many, not a few, but many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So Paul points out that in the early church here, a few decades as he wrote this after Pentecost, there were many unruly and vain talkers, many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Now, this is what we have today. We have many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. In this particular segment of the world at that time, there were many who were Judaizers. They were Judaizers. And he says that they're trying to bring people back under the law as Galatians. You've got to become familiar, very intimately familiar with the truths of Galatians, beloved, if you're going to have all the components of the full counsel of God. So I want you to study that book. And there are many other sections in the New Testament that speak of the passages of these Judaizing devils. They're evil workers, Paul called them. Evil workers. What kind of workers? Evil workers. That means workers of evil. There's nothing good about them. They don't need to be fluffed up, puffed up, or pandered to. They need to be rebuked. Listen to verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. One of the reasons why some people do what they do is for self-gain. Self-gain. Now, specifically for greedy gain and money, but also in general for self-gain. That's what I believe the underlying principle here would be, filthy lucres. They want attention, you know, for themselves. So they're going to attack those God is really using and try to elevate themselves by doing so. It always ends up backfiring on them. You know, I give you some specific examples of how the people attacked last year. Just spread things that were laughable. Just saying things about me. I'm like, really? I did that? I don't remember that. In other words, it never happened. It was just crazy stuff. 
stuff. I won't even repeat it. I mean, just the most outlandish stuff you ever heard. Making up stuff, you know, acting like they have authority. It's somebody who, oh, it's just crazy. So anyway, they're out for filthy lucre's sake. They don't care about the body of Christ. They care about themselves. They're not interested in watching for your soul. They don't pray for you. They're not out winning souls to Jesus. Why? They don't have the Holy Spirit in their own life. They're posing as watchmen and overseers, all because what? They call themselves a pastor. Oh, gee, anybody could do that. But they're not fulfilling the function of a pastor. Oh, they got a website and, you know, stuff like this. So they set themselves up as authorities. They're not ordained of God. So beware of them, beloved. There are many posing. They've crept in unawares, Jude 4 speaks about. Crept in unawares, undetected. The naive and the gullible think that these guys are true pastors, watchmen or whatever, because they have a few good teachings on the web or something or, you know, parade themselves as such. But they're out to really devour the sheep. Jesus said, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. They have the facade and the look of being a sheep and even an overseer among the sheep. But inwardly, they are full of ravening or devouring. You know, they want to raven and devour the sheep of God. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they will devour and destroy your soul, as we read about in Matthew 7, 15, and also Ezekiel 22, 25 through 27. He says there's even a conspiracy among the prophets, and he says they devour and destroy souls. Let no man deceive you, beloved. Your ultimate trust must be in the Lord. Submitting to men doesn't mean they're the final authority. It just means that you learn of them, and if they don't have love, they're nothing. Look for love. Study first. Corinthians 13, study what God says is the fruit of love. If they don't have that, run for your life. They're wolves posing as overseers. Again, Jesus said, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, devouring wolves. They want to devour you and destroy you, and they're luring you in through a few of their good exposés and maybe a couple of teachings that make you think that they're really of the Lord. And then they're going to turn again like swine, spiritual depraved swine always do, and rend you. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. So be careful and avoid people like this and mark them. Verse 10, Titus 1. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. For filthy lucre's sake. Now let me talk about that for just a moment. Notice there are many... Many, he says, unruly and vain talkers and deceivers that are circulating. They lie in wait to deceive, we read in Ephesians 4.14. And elders are ordained, as that passage is speaking of, to help you and I to grow in the grace of God, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to know him more intimately every day. Day and to be rooted and grounded in his love and in sound doctrine so that we're not moved away and about by every wind of doctrine or deceiver that comes in to the church world or on the internet or whatever and woos you. You know, I've got people that call me and they, they're asking me, what about this guy? What about that guy? I've been listening to his teachings and they get so doctored up on these celebrity, some of them aren't even celebrities, but they're deceivers and vain talkers as Paul's talking about here, that they get blinded to the truth and that spirit 
comes off on them. They don't even realize it. I guess we've all been through that somewhere along the line. Maybe that's part of the learning process, but they have a hard time hearing the truth, the raw truth of Scripture. See, Paul talks about giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're seducing spirits behind those doctrines of devils. Make no mistake. Do not give heed to them, beloved. That's 1 Timothy 4.1. Give them no place. Mark them and avoid them. It says in Romans 16, 17, 18. Don't pander to them. Don't try to teach them necessarily. Mark them. If, if they're unrepentant false teachers, they need to be marked. Now, let's talk about these unruly and vain talkers. Was that just in Paul's day? No. There's no new thing under the sun, Ecclesiastes 1.9. There are so many vain talkers in the deceivers today. It's just, they're innumerable. The Bible says in the last days, the evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse. It's not going to be a worldwide revival as some delusional false teachers teach, like in the new apostolic reformation delusion. No. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. That doesn't mean there's not going to be pockets of revival and revival in the hearts of God's true remnant, those that choose to be his true remnant. But as far as some worldwide revival where all these miracles and signs and wonders, I don't think so. The prophetic scriptures say something different. So let's talk about some of the doctrines. Paul points out that especially in particular, he's talking about those of the circumcision. In other words, those trying to bring people back under the law. And the way they do that, they try with just one part of it. One of the most prevalent things they choose, they try to draw naive, gullible people in with is the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Adventists. They're nothing but Judaizing cultists. That is a cult. They broke off of the Jehovah Witnesses. And so anyway, what good fruit can come out of a bad root? Impossibility. Matthew 17, Jesus talks about. So they're Judaizers. They're trying to get people to come up on the law one part at a time. And they need to know what they say, nor whereof they affirm, as First Timothy the chapter 1 and verse 7 says, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. They don't use the law rightfully as he goes on to talk about to convict the sinners. But they try to bring New Testament believers under the law. The law was for the Jews and the law has been done away with for righteousness. If you're under the law, you're not saved. You cannot be saved through the law. That's one of the most clear ABC foundational truths in the New Testament. We've got some articles on that on safeguardyoursoul.com. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain, right? Galatians 2.20. And then Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. It's over. It's the end. Underline it, bracket it. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. If you keep the whole law, James 2, 9, and you offend in one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Those that are saved are under the grace of God. In fact, he says in Hebrews 10, verse 9, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He taketh away the first. Does that need explanation? I don't think so. I think it needs us just to listen and obey and embrace what it says. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Jesus took away the law and the ordinance of the law when he nailed them to the cross. Colossians 2, verse 14 through 17. Now, one of the ways these Judaizing beguilers, they're utterly devils, they're evil workers, 
Philippians 3, 1 through 3, are going to operate as they're going to go, Jesus said, if you obey, you know, to obey my commandment, John 14, 15, they're going to quote that. It sounds real holy, doesn't it? But it's totally out of context. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's true. Jesus said that. But where did Jesus ever say, keep Saturday as a Sabbath? Show me one place. Are you kidding me? None. Zero. Even Jesus in places in the Gospels broke the Sabbath himself. He defied the religious devils of his day by healing people on the Sabbath. So, yeah, we're to obey Jesus for sure, but Jesus never said. He's got 27 books in the New Testament to tell us, him and his apostles, that we're to keep any certain day. Where did he say it? Nowhere. Not one place. So you're adding to the Word of God to say or believe or teach that we're to keep any certain day. So this is some of the variety. And I'm going to go through a list of the variety of beguilers, gainsayers, and those who teach falsely in our day, whose mouths must be stopped. They must be rebuked and marked if they don't repent. And others who have been preyed upon by them have to be taught the Word of God. And that's why we have more mature believers in our lives to help us learn how to be set for the defense of the gospel, as Paul said he was in Philippians 1.17. We're to earnestly contend for the faith, once given to the saints, beloved, and against these falsehoods, as Paul was dealing with many of them in the early church. As you read through the New Testament, you're going to see them. Paul was no sheepish little puppy dog about it, but he was a bulldog, to say it lightly, concerning false teachers and the threat and the jeopardy that they placed upon the believers, that they would be spoiled or brought to spiritual shipwreck by these beguilers. He says in Colossians 2, 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ because you're complete in Christ. And that's why he warned us in Colossians 2 concerning those who would seduce or deceive you. Verse 4 says, this is a serious matter and God wants you and I to grow up into him and increase in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1.10 for every member of the body of Christ to grow in the knowledge of God and to become those who are mature believers, who by reason of use, study and doing, application of the Word of God, we become those that can have handle the meat of the Word of God and help others around us to be sustained and endure to the end and to be developed and deepened in the love of God, being rooted and grounded in His love through walking with Him in the Spirit and also in sound doctrine that we may be able to exhort and convince and even shut the mouths of the gainsayers and the unruly false teachers among us. That was the reason for mature believers in the early church, as I believe we can discern and learn here in Titus 1. So we're going to go through a list of some of the things that circulate today, about eight or ten of them. In the next segment, we're going to hit a few more of them. So far, we've hit on a couple of them, I think, at least one, Judaizers. But notice here, before we do that, let's read down a little bit. One of themselves, verse 12, even a prophet of their own said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Sometimes the best thing you can do with somebody is to rebuke them sharply. Why? So they can be sound in the faith and cease to be vain talkers or gainsayers, but to be made whole in their hearts through being broken 
before the Lord and being granted repentance by the Lord. And sometimes a rebuke is exactly what they need. So they stop questioning the Lord. They stop questioning the word of God, which is something Satan does. In the Garden of Eden, he cast doubt upon the word of God. He's not changed one bit, folks. Right there in the third chapter of Genesis with the first man and woman, he says, Hath God said? See, casting doubt is one of Satan's most subtle tools upon the word of God. Listen, we need to stop leaning to our own understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy past. I want you to read that. I want you to obey that. I want you to pour over every word, every segment, every phrase, every term in that passage. And especially watch the one and memorize it. Memorize the whole passage. At least verse 5 and 6, which I just quoted. Notice what he says there. Lean not to thine own understanding. If you want a sound mind and a sound heart established by sound doctrine, you need to lean not to your understanding. You need to stop questioning God. And you need to say, beginning with your own soul and mind and spirit, let God be true and every man a liar. And that starts with you. You need to shut off, go on a fast, and put the axe to the root of every part, every iniquity, every gainsaying, the trace of rebellion in you. Question the authority of God. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. That's a pretty good bumper sticker. I like that saying. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it, baby. Say with Paul, from your heart, out of your mouth, and establish it in your life as a mainstay truth and principle that you're going to live by. Let God be true and every man a liar, beginning with yourself. Romans 3, verse 4. More to come on the next segment. All right, like I was saying, I want to encourage you to get familiar with the three-chapter book of Titus. You're going to see some reoccurring theme all the way threaded throughout this book. As we just read in Titus 1.13, we're to rebuke sharply those that are unruly gainsayers and teaching falsely and actually subvert whole houses teaching things that they ought not for self-gain or filthy lucre's sake. Okay, they're to be rebuked sharply on the authority of the word of God. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, it says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. You do it with long-suffering, but do it with the doctrine of the scriptures, but do it. Rebuke with the scriptures. Preach the word. Become mature in Christ. You, if you've been born again, God's calling you to increase in the knowledge of God, according to Colossians 1.10, to be established in the sound doctrine of the word of God. And that can only come if you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth. Memorize that scripture, 2 Timothy 2.15, forget the lie of the devil, that says you can't memorize scripture. That's a ridiculous, evil lie. Get index cards out, write the reference out, and print out scriptures. As you read through the scriptures, the Bible, you should be doing that the first thing every morning is studying the word of God, large portions of it. And as you run across verses, God will quicken certain things you need to capture and write on an index card and memorize them. Begin reading and studying and pouring over them prayerfully until they're committed to memory. Let thine heart retain my words, Proverbs 4. Notice Titus 2.1, but speak thou the things which become sound 
doctrine. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrines. We're to be teachers of good things, verse 3. Verse 7, a speaking of young men, it says, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, in other words, purity, gravity or honesty, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part against theirs may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say against you. Because your life, your manner of life, that's called conversation in the New Testament, in the King James, purified, preserved Word of God. You're to show uncorruptness in doctrine, gravity in the way of life, and in sincerity with sound speech or sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is very important to the Lord. In fact, I think you should look up every time the Bible uses the term sound doctrine. Now, while we're here, let's look at Titus 3, verse 9. Titus 3, 9 through 11. Then we'll go back to Titus 1 and talk about some of the false teachings that are to be contended about in this modern day in which we find ourselves as we look for the soon return of Christ. Titus 3, 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law where they are unprofitable and that would include what we spoke about earlier where people are trying to get other folks to keep the sabbath jesus is the sabbath wake up you see that day of observance for the jewish people not gentile new testament believers who are justified by christ not by law no one's justified by law, not even the ones God gave the law to, the Jews. It's done. It's nailed to the cross. It's over. Get over it. It's over. Christ is the end, the end, the end, the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Hallelujah. Romans 10, 4. 10, 4, good buddy. Remember that on the CBs? We need to say 10, 4, good buddy to the law for righteousness. Amen. The law has a use. It's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And it's also designed for the wicked, according to 1 Timothy 1. Read the whole chapter so that they can be convicted and brought to faith in Christ and saved, not by the law, but by faith in Christ through repentance. But the law has a purpose, and that's to convert their soul by bringing them the conviction, showing them they have broken God's holy law, even the one who is their maker and the judge of their eternal souls. And so they fall prostrate, and they repent and get saved. Amen. That's the purpose of a law. There is a right use of a law. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. If you read 1 Timothy 1, you'll learn a lot, beloved. You'll learn much. Titus 3, verse 10 now. We read verse 9. Here's verse 10. A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject him. How many? First or second. I deal with people all the time on some of the things that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Some of the specific falsehoods that are circulating by unruly and vain talkers who neither know what they say nor whereof they affirm. They've been taught this stuff through their cult handlers or leaders. People that are running around teaching them as they subvert whole houses. And some of them don't want to listen to the truth when it's right in their face. They don't want to believe the truth. That person's a heretic. They're an unrepentant heretic. False doctrine is a sin against God. It's a defiance against God. It is a heart matter every time. And especially when we're talking about people that are being shown the truth in black and white, and they refuse to acknowledge the word of God and obey God and repent and reject the falsehood they were taught. But no, they reject the word of God for their tradition, as Jesus says that Pharisees do, both in his day and in ours. That's what a heretic is. And they cause factions. 
among the people of God, those that are of the Lord and those that are in the process of making shipwreck of their faith by believing lies. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 7, 6 through 9. Jesus, speaking to the heretics of his day, says, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you, hypocrites, as it is written. Jesus called them hypocrites. He called them a personal name. The hypocrites are those who, I believe the New Testament bears this definition out, but you test it. They are those that are zealous and obedient to their sect and its teachings, the programs and the dogmas of their sect, their religious sect or cult, but not God and his word. They don't fear God and they don't put his word first. They put their own traditions first. Counterfeits come in the name of their sect, not in the name of Jesus. But the Bible says, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. This people honoreth me, he says, verse 6 of Mark 7. They honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, they have a fake facade of serving God. They seem or feign to be serving God, but it's all fake. Jesus says in verse 7, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. They teach the doctrines of men. And when they're confronted, listen to verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, they lay aside God's word, not their false doctrine. Ye hold the tradition of men. See, they hold on to the tradition of men when they show the word of God. As washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. In other words, they deal with the external, not the internal, which is most important to God. Matthew 23. God looketh on the heart, First Samuel 16, 7. And then in verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well, knowing full well, in other words, you fully, deliberately, and intentionally doing this. You fully well, full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. So they reject the word to keep their tradition. The true disciple rejects the tradition to keep the word of God. That's the definition of a true disciple. And that's rightly divided between a hypocrite or a heretic and a true disciple of Christ. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject him. How many? The first or second. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinned, being condemned of God. This is a moral issue, folks. This study Bible, Life in the Spirit, notes this about verse 10. He says, Heretics are false teachers who teach opinions and doctrines that have no biblical basis and that create division. After a second admonition proves ineffective in dealing with such persons, they must be rejected or expelled from the members of the body of Christ. Those who reject biblical truth and substitute their own ideas or traditions and opinions are perverted and sinning. That's what it says about them. They're perverted and they're sinning. They're subverted and sinning. They're subverted in their spirit. They're subverted in their hearts. They're turned over to a lie for not loving the truth. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. God himself has sent them a strong delusion so that they would believe a lie. Let's talk about some of the vain false teachings that we have circulating among us. We've talked about Judaizers. I'm not going to go into a full discourse on each one of these, obviously, but let me give you a little parent talk about some of these things to be aware of. Some of you are already aware of all of these or some of these that we find ourselves contending against. We are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints according to Jude verse 3 and 4. And also we are to be set for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 17. That includes you man. 
you and I, we're to be diligent about studying to show ourselves approved and answering to all falsehoods by the Word of God and rebuking them with all long-suffering and doctrine. But you can't rebuke a falsehood. You don't even know it's a falsehood in many cases if you don't know the Word of God itself. When you know the Word of God and you're learning daily the precepts of the Lord and the doctrines of the Word of God, then you are going to be able to spot heresies and false teaching when they arise. The NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation Movement, is a completely errant false movement run by head false apostle Peter Wagoner. Chuck Pierce is another one. Rick Joyner. A lot of big names. Listen, if you're checking out a ministry, first of all, realize you don't need a ministry. You need God and His Word and His Spirit and the body of Christ. You don't need me. You need Jesus. You need God's Word. You don't need anybody's ministry or to listen to all their messages, especially if they're not in the truth and they don't have the spirit of the love of God in them, the fruit of the love of God in them, and they're not caring for you as we talked about earlier. You need the Lord. We get people all the time calling us up saying, hey man, who do you guys endorse? So we don't endorse anybody. We don't even endorse ourselves. We all need to worship the one nail-scarred, risen Savior. And that's not any of us. That's not somebody that set up a website or somebody that's got a big church and has his audios or videos online. That's the nail-scarred, risen Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. New Apostolic Reformation movement is some few false apostles who have set themselves up as leadership who are teaching people all kinds of strange doctrines. You can read more about that on safeguardyoursoul.com and also theoriginalgospel.com. All of these things that I'm going to mention, we're going to go a little bit through and just touch on real quick here as we close this segment, I believe this last segment down. We talk about them extensively in audios and on articles comparing these falsehoods to scripture on these websites. That's why these websites are in place to be available as uh, tools to help us all learn and increase in the knowledge of God as we we study to show ourselves approved unto God. And I think you'll find them to be line upon line, precept upon precept, scripturally, biblically true. So if you look up NAR or New Apostolic Reformation on the search window on safeguardyoursoul.com, you'll find some stuff, extensive writings about this false, completely false movement of which Todd Bentley and the Lakeland and Brownsville revival, so-called, were a part of. That's all a part of the same delusional movement. But then that doesn't mean that being a Pentecostal baptized in the Holy Spirit believer is untrue, you see. And that's what John author. He's a whole industry in himself, a false teacher. He's a Calvinist. You're a Calvinist and you're teaching it. You're a false teacher. You're a heretic. The doctrines of Calvinism utterly false. As I transition here, I've got to tell you, John MacArthur is a wolf. He's teaching that the gifts of the Spirit are of the devil. This guy is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Oh, but he's eloquent and he captures the ears of a lot of people because he sounds like he knows what he's saying. It doesn't matter. He is, has no divine authority. The Word of God has all full divine authority. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, and for instruction in righteousness. Not a man, 
not John MacArthur, just because he's an eloquent speaker. Goodness, folks, how gullible can we be? Turn off that garbage and get into the Word of God yourself. Calvinism, let's transition into Calvinism. We have to constantly, as many of you, combat the evil lies of John Calvin and Calvinism, which he got from Augustine and some other delusional Catholic monks and priests. If you trace it back, Calvin was an evil, murderous thug. He killed Michael Servetus for disagreeing with him. The five points of Calvinism are utterly false. Every one of them, including the first one, total depravity, and they're all interrelated. And man, we've got a lot of resources on Calvinism, refuting it and establishing you in the scriptures, in sound doctrine. One of the resources we have is Lie of the Ages. Highly recommend you get a copy of this book. It's available in ebook. It's available in print on Safeguard Your soul.com. Wow, you will learn so much and be grounded in the Word of God in so many ways. I can't even begin to tell you through the Holy Scriptures and the following of the principle of Nehemiah 8.8, giving the Scriptures and then giving the sense of the Scripture that you'll find in every one of these books. They're not put out there to make anybody popular. Trust me, when you read the content of them, you'll know they'll never be a bestseller. And we don't want them to be. That's not our intention. We're here to teach the remnant body of Christ the Word of God. So we're all rooted and grounded in His love and in His Word. The book, Lies of the Ages. Phenomenal resource. Very complete, irrefutable, biblical resource refuting Calvinism. Also, there are other things. If you look under the category of Calvinism, lots of stuff on the website that will help teach you the Word of God and how to combat this evil cancer of Calvinism or cult of Calvinism. Also, there's a, I think, 17, yes, 17 part audio series called The Irrefutable Truth About Eternal Security, which thoroughly abolishes all five points of Calvinism, demolishes them. Preterism, they say Jesus already came. These guys are delusional. How prevalent they are, I haven't run into any of them in a while. Learn a little bit about preterism and why it's false. Here's another one of the falsehoods that these gainsaying false teachers are running around teaching. Roman Catholicism is a cult. It's an antichrist cult of the highest degree. Learn about the grace of God in the Word of God and how we're saved and how the Roman Catholic Church has a false salvation that's based on works. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Learn how to rightly divide the word of truth and to help those that are caught up in these cults and these false heresies to be delivered. We already talked about Seventh-day Adventism and how they're Judaizers. Also, these Messianic Jewish people, a lot of them are Judaizers. A lot of them are a little bit more subtle, but most of them don't have the love of God, the joy of the Lord in their lives. They have this false humility and false pride about them that they have some advantage on the New Testament believers. That's baloney. That's absolutely just deception. And that they're superior because they keep the commandments of Jesus by keeping the Sabbath. Jesus never commanded anybody to keep the Sabbath. Neither did his apostles. And in Acts 15, the Bible tells us that the, the apostles convened to establish what the Lord had set forth to be essential for salvation, the New Testament believers, especially Gentiles. And the Sabbath, keeping any certain day is not even mentioned. What does that tell you? It's not essential. We've got an article on the website, beautiful article, 
article called Sabbath Blasting or something like that. That's one. I think that might be the subtitle. Just put in Sabbath on the search window and you'll find good resources. Also, let me encourage you, friend, to use the site as a resource to help others learn as you learn yourself the Word of God. And if you feel so led to do so, I should say. Also, establish in Microsoft Word files on every single one of these subjects and many others. And when you talk to somebody and you interact with somebody who believes Calvinism and you're typing out things to them and scripture to them, however you dialogue, don't waste that stuff. Get in the habit of saving that. Drop it into a file. Maybe call one file Calvinism. Call another file SDA or Seventh-day Adventist or Sabbath or whatever. I call mine Sabbath. Build files. NAR, New Apostolic Reformation. Save this information so that next time the subject comes up, and it will, God will be able to use you to go back into that file that you've already begun to establish so that you don't have to restart from scratch again. You have resources on all of these things so that you have much to give people. I like at sometimes, and I'm just going to be honest with you, to overwhelm, absolutely flood them with information, biblical truth that contradicts their lives. Just flood them. There's certain things I don't need to, it's, there's not even a possibility that it's the truth. Seventh-day Adventism, Sabbath worshipers, they worship a day instead of Christ, who is the capital S Sabbath, the rest of God for New Testament believers, who rest from the law, or trying to be righteous through the law, in Christ, who fulfilled the law and then nailed it to the cross. They're not right. I'm not going to listen to much of what they have to say. I'm going to flood and overwhelm them with the truth. You can approach it the way you want, but I, I think you'll find you're wasting your time trying to pander to their falsehoods, and you might even get sucked into them if you don't watch it, especially if you're not grounded in the Word. There's another false doctrine that's circulating that's been revived, and it's, it might be coming out of some of Finney's writings. This idea, you know, you see these street preachers that have these signs and these websites, Stop sinning! You know, they're trying to get sinners to stop sinning. That's like trying to get a bear to stop going to the bathroom in the woods. You talk about ignorant. This is a foolish heresy, folks. The Bible says sin shall not have dominion over you, Christians, because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Sinners are still under the law, folks. They can't overcome sin. They need to be convicted of a sin through the preaching of the word and brought the saving grace of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. You see, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. First Timothy 1 gives us that prescription of the right use of the law. It's not trying to keep it for Christians, but use it to preach to the lost to get them convicted. Give them the Ten Commandments of the law. So they become convicted and invite them to come and take of the water of life, the water of Christ, the water of salvation freely to be saved, to repent, and turn their life over to Christ. This stop sinning, you know, stop all sinning. That's ridiculous. Just put a scripture on there, man. Stop sinning. Tell sinners to stop sinning. They can't stop sinning. They are by nature the children of disobedience. By nature, quote unquote. Ephesians 2. This is the same group that runs around with this no original sin. They try to combat Calvin's total depravity era by swinging the pendulum and making a more of a worse falsehood by saying that we're neutral and that we're not inclined towards sin. That is just laughable, not only biblically, but doctrinally. And we've got some stuff on the website about that. Word of faith movement, totally counterfeit. I was delivered from that evil system of heresies over 20 years ago. In fact, I talk about that in the book, three chapters in the book, Predators in Our Pulpits. Highly advise, encourage you to get a copy of that book. Three chapters, I believe it's chapter 8, 9, and 10, called Confessions of a False Teacher. That's me. I had learned some false teachings. 
and gives my testimony about how God delivered me from these falsehoods through his truth and how he quickened me to go apologize and make amends, etc., etc., for the different things I had taught to certain people, etc. Word of Faith Movement, totally false. Anybody that's a part of the Word of Faith Movement that's a leader is a wolf. You cannot espouse those false teachings without being a false teacher and a wolf. Another thing that we've got to look out for, which is not necessarily a movement with a name, is crossless Christianity. All these new churches run by these young guys who are basically novices. They think that they're qualified to pastor as a vocation because they graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary or some other unwarranted merit that they have received or gotten and they teach a crossless Christianity. This whole seeker-friendly community church, Bible churches, emergent church movement is completely crossless. Joel Osteen, he's completely crossless. He's an enemy of the cross of Christ. All of these guys are. They're not teaching people to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow Christ like Jesus taught. That's a crossless Christianity. Their God is their belly. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Watch for it. Learn these truths. We wrote about that in the books, I Die Daily and Raised Up. Highly recommend them for your daily walk and to discern what true and false Christianity is. If it doesn't have the cross in it, it's false. Not only in first and foremost, the propitiatory blood cross of Jesus where he bled on the cross to redeem us, but also the daily cross Christ commanded us to take up. We don't. We're not even following him. And that means daily, he said. Luke 9, 23 and 24. And I would add this. Beware of those who use the new versions. Uh, That's a personal opinion. I'm going to tell you up front. But I lose some respect spiritually for people that are so deluded that they're still using a corrupt new version. That's ridiculous. Some of them have been taught that the new versions are more accurate. Some of them just don't know yet. But just show them the verses in the Bible, King James Bible, compared to new corrupt versions and watch the jaws drop. In fact, let me give you some examples. Matthew 17, 21, that verse is totally missing out of the new versions where Jesus says that we're to cast out devils and this kind of faith and power to cast out devils doesn't come but by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 21, Romans 8, 1, the verses chopped in half in the new versions. Also, Colossians 1, 14. You ought to be writing these down and memorizing them and writing them on the inside of your Bible. We'll create a Microsoft Word file called Bible Versions. We've got a page on Bible Versions with videos, etc. on it. It's called Bible Versions on SafeGuardYourSoul.com. All of these topics are covered and many, many more to help you to learn of the Lord so that you can be a mature believer and earnestly contend for the faith and shut the mouths of some of these gainsayers and rebuke them with the truth. And if they're not going to receive it. They're a heretic, and so you need to cut them off and reject them. That's kind of a summation of what we read here in Titus. And also, one more, 1 John 5, 7. The clearest verse in the Bible on the triune nature of God is all but totally neutered in the new versions. Don't let anybody deceive you. God did preserve his word, and it's pretty obvious which Bible is the true word of God and which Bibles aren't. Let me give you a little thumbnail sketch here. There are many good resources out on this, and there are many, 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 many bad resources, like this total kook, John R. Rice, who is an ardent Calvinist and NIV heretic. This guy is a devil. He endorses and argues for the promotion of both of these total 
heresies and just false teachings on Calvinism and that the NIV and the new versions are legitimate versions of God. That's just laughable if it wasn't so sad. So beware of John R. Rice. Now, the KJV issue is important. If God's word's important, and it is, God says he lifts even his word above his own name, Psalm 138.2. If the word of God is important, and that's where we find out the doctrines of God, then this issue is important. And that's why I don't hesitate to talk about it. Had a good conversation with a brother today and gave him a King James Bible and gave him the verses, the four I gave you earlier, to go look up. In fact, those four verses are on a little chart at the bottom of that Bible versions page on the website. Friends, this is just some of the stuff you'll find yourself earnestly contending concerning and combating with the truth, bringing demolition to these falsehoods through the knowledge of the truth of God's Word and teaching and preaching the Word of God and warning others. Amen. God bless you and let us know if there's any way we can help you. Info at safeguardyoursoul.com. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.